0: Yeah, I was checking them out. These get, interesting pedigree.
1: Right. If you've ever listened to the Crazy Horse album Left for Dead, you may recognize the singer wasn't a guy named Neil Young. That's because the guy singing it is Mr. Sonny Moon. In addition to singing on the track, Sonny wrote seven of the nine songs on the album. As a solo acoustic artist, Sonny has shared the bill with players like Roger McGinn from The Birds, Dave Mason and Jim Capaldi from Traffic, Leon Russell, The Tubes, and Tears for Fears. He's also recorded with Matt Malley from Counting Crows, Victor Bassetti from Los Lobos, and our mutual friend Dean Denning from Toad the Wet Sprocket. And then that was my intro. So... One of the questions I was going to get to you about was, um, do you think your writing style and I would assume it has has changed from you did that album, I think in 89, but I mean, we can even go before all that. How do do you think you write now? So when you wrote meteor, uh, differently than then, and then one of the things I find fun because is. uh, you get where you have these great ideas for something and it's at the worst times possible. And you're sitting there like trying to type it into your phone now, instead of on a notepad. And the person's looking at you like, you are so rude. And you're like, no, this is going to be good.
0: (laughs) Very important. You don't understand. Uh, Yeah. I keep a little uh, stereo recorder on my phone, on the front page. I I hit it while I'm driving, you know, ideas, but Oh, from, you know, from left for dead, which, you know, Got mixed reviews, as I'm sure you saw. It wasn't a stellar record. It was done on a super low budget, but it what it didn't have in technological prowess, it definitely made up for uh, uh we made up for it in heart. You know, I mean that's yeah, great rock. I mean the guitars on that is yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, we we worked real hard on that one. And uh, you know, the writing is a little bit sophomoric, I guess. And what's changed for me is uh I mean I've I've done uh, two, two full-length CDs released, you know, in different capacities over the, over the last 20 years. Um, you know, it's for me, it's always kind of like trying to find your own voice is where you start. I've always kind of... Uh, I, I was never a rock and roller roller, even though that Crazy Horse record was like that. Yeah. I was yeah. always more like, you know born to be mild kind of kind of dude yeah you know, i always i always enjoyed the, the acoustic Neil more than the electric Neil. uh when i really thought about it do you know what i mean yeah as, it was as, I enjoyed, of... as uh, being on stage with crazy horse turning up my fender deluxe and my les paul to 11 and just scream and shit out was fabulous i mean it was therapy it was you know it was surreal really to be be hanging on stage with those guys um, but you know you evolve and rock and roll is it's limited you know so you start looking you start trying to I mean you know like most artists you just start trying to branch off into into different things and experiment a little bit with uh, with your sound
1: How did you meet the crazy horse guys because you had known them for uh, I, I think three
0: years before you did yeah, the we- that was a funny story. Um, I moved to California. Uh, You're from I, uh, Boston area. Uh, Cape Cod area. And uh, my uh, my wife and I moved here. Uh, she's from there back there as well. But her brother had moved out here. So they were com- trying to convince us, please come to California. You know, I was at a dead end on, on in Massachusetts. We were playing like the best clubs in Boston. I had a little duo, and we were great and hot, and you know had a crowd. But
1: it wasn't going anywhere.
0: So you had two choices back then in 1984. You'd go to New York City or you'd go to L.A., one or the other. And, you know, being a Red Sox fan, New York just didn't seem like an option, you know. Yeah. So I ended up in L.A. Uh, and the Dodgers, the Dodgers are okay? Yeah, yeah you know, uh, sort of. <laughs> but, we'll
1: uh, move on. We'll move on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, uh, we ended up here, and uh, her sister was living here as well, and she moved into this house in Thousand Oaks, California, um, and her next-door neighbor was Billy Talbot from Crazy Horse. Oh, so, funny. And one day, he, they were just talking, and she got to be neighborly with him after like a year of living there, and uh, he'd disappear for weeks on end and come back, you know, on tour or whatever, and uh, she said, hey, you know what? My brother-in-law just moved here from California. Would you consider like, you know, hanging out with him for an hour? And so she gave me his phone number and he said, yeah, sure. And it sat in my wallet for six months because I was too afraid to call him. <laughs> oh, how funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was scared shitless. I was like, know, yeah, it's crazy horse. Come on. It's, you know? it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I was, you know, 25. I was, I worked up the guts to give him a call and, uh, when I met Billy Talbot, and you know who I'm talking about, the bass player, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the head bobbing Billy. Um, <laughs> uh, I called him up. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, right? Come on, come on, right over, man. When I met him, he reminded me of kind of a, uh, Keith Richards meets uh, Danny DeVito. Okay. <laughs> like that. okay. All
1: right. <laughs> there's a combination i just i don't i never really put those two guys together all
0: attitude all attitude but completely genuine you know imagine if twins was casted with
1: keith richards (laughs) and not arnold
0: (laughs) anyway i show up at his house and um he said yeah you know come over whatever time it it was but he said that he was working they had not been on tour for four years with neil young and they had burned through a lot of their dough And he was literally, uh, had a painting company. Okay. And he worked during the day with his painting company, Painting Houses. And so uh, I show up at the house. I pull up at the driveway. I knock on the door. His wife answers. And she goes, oh, he's out back in the pool. Uh, Just stay right here. I'll send him out. So I'm standing in his driveway. And here comes Billy Talbot out the side gate of the house, fully clothed and dripping wet. As in, he just jumped in the pool, fully clothed, shoes and all, and came out without even toweling off and shook my hand. <laughs> like, I love rock and roll. <laughs> he goes, he the don't do shit like that. <laughs> that was the first moment. I, that was my introduction to the crazy horse. I was like, this is kind of unusual, but uh, okay. So uh, I hung out with him that night and uh, we smoked a little weed. We got down to uh, writing a song that he was working on, and we finished it. Uh, the next day, he called me and invited me to a rehearsal uh, for an upcoming tour uh, with Neil. They were going to re- rehearse at this place in Thousand Oaks. They they had Frank, the uh, guitar player, bought a house and turned it into a studio, a little yeah. house, but it was really like a big man cave, all pinball machines and you know stage built and you know I mean just pinball like, machines totally help with the studio sound. All- Totally like dream come true for a 25-year-old kid in music, right? Yeah. And uh, before I knew it, I was uh, standing in the middle of this rehearsal space uh, with headphones on, and the click track was louder than anything I'd ever heard, just the click before we even started playing. They handed me a 1957 Stratocaster, and they asked me, do you know Cinnamon Girl? We need to rehearse it. I was like, "Uh, yeah, sure. And there I was playing "Cinnamon Girl, Crazy Horse. Go
1: figure. <laughs> How many songs, so you you play uh, live a lot. I, I It's cool because I've run into you oh, a few times through the years where I'll be like, Sonny! <laughs> and I didn't know you were going to be there. How many songs do you have in your repertoire now that
0: you can just play? Well, it's funny because I've always kind of considered myself a working musician, and that okay. kind of got beat into my head when I was really young, you know, because you hear from your your parents and your friends and everybody else your girlfriend whatever that you know there's no security you're never going to make any money so you always you know we're we're driven to have a gig yeah Uh, that's the one constant in my life is i play every week live it doesn't matter where and it matters now how much of course but not back then but do you think about
1: or any okay was any of that to keep up your chops or not necessarily
0: well, in the beginning it was, uh, but over the last ten years, it's not like I need the rehearsal. You know, I've yeah. I've, pro- I've probably sung "Heart of Gold" more than Neil Young. <laughs> 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 if you really want to do the math, for a lot less money. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, you,
1: know,
0: uh, you know, I just I started building a cover repertoire because I had to work. Yeah, and I had to make sure that I was always working, and and I found a niche in this whole kind of. Uh, you know, topanga Laurel Canyon Sound that nobody else was doing. Uh gotcha. 15, 20 years ago, nobody was doing it. Did you play at Froggies?
1: Up and they so we used to be in the middle of Topanga. That's so why I bring
0: it up. Oh no, no. Uh, no, I just, you know, I just ended up taking whatever came my way. I ended up getting like house gigs. You know, I'd have a bar that would hire me three nights a week, and I spent three years there. I was like Ricky Ricardo. You know, I'm at the club, honey. you know but it was steady work i had a kid i had a house i had a mortgage and so i found myself in the year 2006 i was playing eight shows a week holy crap that's a lot of work that's every week you get real good you get real good at reading the crowd you get real good at at your craft if you're doing cover and you and you know when you've got a crowd that's going to accept originals and so you can do a set or half a set original material without you know, getting so depressed, you want to slit your wrists, you know, you learned, I learned a lot. I really. So what learned.
1: are the telltales for the crowd that wants to hear originals? And then how many originals can you play without them being like sing Heart of Gold?
0: Well, uh, it varies, but um, there are, first of all, it's funny when, when I do a cover gig, I don't know for anybody else, but when I do a cover gig, I'm kind of like Amazon. I'll throw my first song out there. Let's say it's Heaven's Door. That's a good sound check song for me. Because uh, I know what I'm supposed to sound like when I do it. Guitar is a little off or this. I can tweak while I'm singing it and get away with it. If if everybody goes, holy shit, that was just great. Then I'm like, oh, okay. If, I'm proud. if you like that, then you'll probably like this. And that's how I started building a night. You know, it's just like Amazon as well. If you like, you know, this coffee mug, you'll probably love this water cup. You know what I mean? Sure. Pretty much that's what I do. So I just follow my nose through it. When you get to, through your first set and you suddenly realize that these people are actually listening to you because you've been able to build this rapport with them. Then you go into like the full Tiny Tim set. <laughs> that's when you know that you can say, hey, you know, I'm going to slide in an, an original tune here. And suddenly they're interested because you haven't tried to jam it down their throat yet. Now yeah. they're just, because they love what you've done up to then, and you're like, oh, well, what do you have? You know, yeah. then, you better, then you better deliver. That's the, only, that's the only caveat to the whole thing. You, know? you deliver. You deliver. Yeah. Have you, do you know who Gary Ballin is? Yeah, I know Gary from way back at uh, the, the, uh, the British club there on Ventura Boulevard. Pickwick's. Uh, Pickwick's, Pickwick's. Pickwick's. That's right. Yeah, I had him on here. Uh do you know howie Hubberman? Uh, was, was Gary the guy that was um uh, I'll take your request, but if you come up with a dollar, I'll change it. Fuck that song. Yeah, fuck that song. Right. The right. Fuck that song guy. Uh, yeah, he uh I had him on here with
1: Howie Hubberman. He was surprised Howie. I don't know. Have you ever bought a guitar from Howie? Howie? Yeah, Howie Hubberman. You got Norm and you got Howie. Those are the two guitar. Oh.
0: No, but you know what? I think Howie did uh, uh, amp work years ago. Oh, could, be. Nah, could be. I, think well, he I had, had to work. get an amp.
1: I had to get a cool, sunny amp. You would have dug this thing. It was like a 1960 Fender amp. It was a gorgeous thing. And Howie had me go to somewhere else to get it. But actually, he hooked me up with the guy who repaired it for me.
0: Yeah, I think he, I, I seem to remember that.
1: I sold it to some dude in New York. And what a bitch it is to ship a friggin' amp to New York. (laughs) It was a nightmare, man.
0: Dangerous business. Yeah, I've had some nice amps. You know, that's the coolest part about I think being a musician is appreciating all the great equipment in the world, you know. I mean for me I thought it was all the hot babes. Well, (laughs) yeah, that too. But you know what? Guitars are a damn close second. (laughs) <laughs> I love it.
1: I got one for you. You got a kick out of this. I recently got this. So it's the master record from uh, Superman. It's made out of metal, right? So I took it to my buddies because I'm like, you yeah, make it play. And we couldn't because the hole's too small. We couldn't get it on the spindle.
0: That's because I don't want you to play it, probably. <laughs>
1: Something. So what I want to do, I want to take it. I want to get like Henry Cavill on this thing, and we go down to the record facility and be like, "See, yeah, make it play." <laughs> how do you actually? How do you make records and make it play? And then that it might be better
0: master, play. man. You might be able to make vinyl copies off of that. That's very cool.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I, I kind of dig it. What I like about it is that they have the emblem in it. I mean, it's just a fun thing. I yeah. keep a lot of stuff. I sell like uh, every. I love memorabilia. I
0: I have. Uh, not a lot of it, but what I have, I love. I've got some old uh, Bob Dylan and Paul Simon posters and pictures of the dead around here. I've got Beetle dolls. They're wrapped up in plastic. Behind. Yeah, I love it. A whole bunch of old crazy horse stuff that I, I I kept everything, you know, backstage passes and all that kind of stuff.
1: I got my laminates from the touring, which means something to me. They're kind of neat, but.
0: Yeah, it's just and great to have,
1: you know. the stuff I get like this one here in the background that, that's a Louis Armstrong poster. I just sold it. That's so why I threw it up there. I, it ships out tomorrow, but 1946, I want to say. Not neat. Such that's cool dope.
0: stuff. I love stuff like that. I mean, I wish I had more, you know, when I think about it. That all the stuff that I just probably tossed, you know, t-shirts and
1: well, we were talking about, but the thing is is that you you're working, you know, you don't think about yeah. hoarding, you yeah. think about working. And then oh, yeah. as a roadie, if I'm there picking up all the guitar picks on the stage, it's kind of like, don't you have better
0: shit to do than like pick up the <laughs> top of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, are you going to use that? I'll take it. You know, I know I, I remember those guys, you know, that did collect every little thing and they were a pain in the ass. No doubt.
1: Yeah. And did, you, uh, did you ever work with Gavin Menzies? He was a uh, guitar tech. No, he's a good dude. So he, he, he passed away. And uh, I bought all of his guitar picks and it was crazy, man. He had, he had amazing stuff. Even uh, like I had Pink Floyd guitar picks, Elvis Presley guitar picks, like really cool, cool stuff. But his collection was crazy. He must've been that guy. He was just like,
0: yeah, exactly. And I remember those guys, they collected everything and they held on to every t-shirt. But uh, I, I wish I, you know, but you don't realize until you're older, you know what you had either. I mean, it's like the it's like the sixty-three, you know, D eighteen that I sold for twelve hundred dollars. That's now worth, you know, ten thousand.
1: I have a <laughs> I have a sixty-four fender base in the original case. Hang on to it. Yeah, I heard I heard Fender went down though. They're not as valuable. Doesn't matter. It's better than stock, man.
0: I'll tell you what, way better than stock. It's a good investment.
1: I like it. I like some of this. The like and then every now and then though, I sound like that Louis Armstrong one. I don't know. I like that one. So I'm going to wait to pack it to the last minute, <laughs> but I got some cool posters. I got a Ramones poster. That was really cool. Like yesterday wow. and then stuff like that. I don't know, it's just what you like. So let's see what we got here. <laughs> <So it's, laughs> these are Jimi Hendrix's cologne bottles. Whoa. What's funny is if you open them, they have no smell. (laughs) So I don't know, I don't know how good he smelled. (laughs) Well,
0: age will do that, but yeah, it's kind of a joke. Unbelievable. Anything that he even touched, man, to me is just like, wow, that's a relic, you know. Oh, it's a neat thing for sure.
1: It's real cute too. But yeah, Jimmy Henderson's cologne bottles. Wow.
0: And that whole school, man, you don't realize how young they were either. Those guys were kids, man. They're 22, 23, 24. Dave Mason wrote uh only um feeling all right. I think he was 17. That's incredible, isn't it? Joe Cocker cover. I mean, you know, Buddy Holly, Buddy Holly died at 22 years old. He already written all his hits. 22. You don't realize that when you look at your icons. And I realized that when Neil Young released Harvest, he was my daughter's age. That's amazing. <laughs> You know, and you look at that and you go,
1: wow. So I used to try to think about like, what's the reasoning? And I think it's, you've got, you, you've got young angst. You have, you have a drive to want to do something with yourself.
0: You, you just have more intention, well, focus. The, there's a big difference between 40 years ago, because this is always a question I love to pose in a, you know, party conversation about music uh, situation. Is like, okay, so Neil Young wrote I Am A Child when he was 17, when he was still a child. He had uh, two records, uh, solo, I think. He had Buffalo Springfield. Oh, and, no. then, and then he had nothing. But the record company came in and said, you know what, we believe in you. And he had a, a, a record that didn't sell much. And they said, try again. My question is, Between the time that Neil left Buffalo Springfield and released Harvest, if he had to work in a car wash for those two years or those 18 months, would he still be Neil Young? Well, you would hope that what it would be is just different songs from different experiences, but... Yeah, but would he still be Neil Young, as in Neil Young, the rock star, or would he be Neil Young, the unknown songwriter? My point is, back then, the record company was like, we have faith in you, we think we hear something, so we're going to let you keep going. yeah, today that rug is pulled out from you after after song one fails. there is no there's no uh what's the word I'm looking for patronage
1: but the other yeah. side of it is you can release your own stuff now. you don't need these
0: guys you know well, you can and that's a big, big, huge part of what's happening right now, but I'm suspect of how that really works. Well,
1: with my book, you know, I I had people reaching out to me and they were, uh, now. I mean, after it started doing good, they reached out to me like, do you want to sign with us as a publishing company? But I asked, I'm sure, what the hell are you going to do for me? You're not going to do shit. And I worked with enough musicians to know that you guys, you don't do that much. No, they don't. Uh, I I actually didn't even answer any of them.
0: At the same time, uh, you know, when I look at TikTok or I look at Instagram, I want to believe that it's as democratic as it looks. It's like, you know, what this was something so interesting that everybody jumped on board. Right?
1: Well, you have you you do have the up. So I've got this guy I've, I found him on Facebook, and his name was uh, Ben Monteith, and he's a street busker in Glasgow. He's had millions of hits online, right? And uh, I'm trying to surprise him with uh, guests who I don't want to say because I want it to be a surprise, but I want to see his face when I get this guy in from the band of the band he's covered a couple of songs for. Because really, that's got to be tough, man. You're playing on the street in Glasgow where it rains every day. And then the more I researched him, his wife had had cancer. She's and she got like chemo. Right. You know, I mean, the full thing. He's raising three boys, and I'm kind of like, this kid is badass, and he's really, really good for real. So, yeah. and that, that's the power that's... of the internet. I would have never
0: heard about this guy in Glasgow. Right. But see, I, I guess what I wonder is, you know, I hear about uh, the TikTok star that, uh, you know, the record companies are, are all clamoring after saying, oh, no, I don't need you, which is great. But I, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm uh, cynical, but I wonder about the logarithms that actually get you to the point where you're getting the hits that you get, where you're getting the exposure that you're getting. Is that just all serendipity? I mean, is it is it really that democratic? I want to believe it is, but is I, it? Just, I, I just wonder: is are you pushed someplace without you really realizing that you're being pushed there? Or- well, I think that
1: I think what happens is is because I clicked TikTok today, I pulled your phone number. And Susie's going to call you and try and sell you a car warranty an extra two times tomorrow.
0: She already has four times today. Oh, dude, Susie's my new buddy. I mean, oh, it's actually kind of amazing. because was, Maybe that was Susie that called me from the attorney general's office today. No, that was me the that different. I was going to go to jail if I didn't pay them 30 grand.
1: I'm actually stoked because, because of Susie trying to sell me a car warranty. I don't pick up the phone anymore. And I save tons of time with anything because unless it says the person's name, I know I never will pick it up. So how much time do you save from years ago where you used to pick up all the calls or can you imagine now working for a marketing research company? (laughs) That was my first job. No hard. That would be, you'd be like, Oh, listen here. You tell Susie, be like, I don't work with Susie, sir.
0: There is. Yeah, no. If I don't know you, I don't uh, I ignore. Go to if you really need me, leave me a voicemail. Well, and recently now, my phone will be like suspected spam. It's like, oh, yeah, I love. Thanks, guys. Potential spam, which is I a great. Name. It's a great name for a band, by the way. That potential would be a good band. name. and yeah, we got this
1: running thing on here where we try to come up with band names. Actually, maybe it's not running. Maybe we tried once. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my friend's band—he had a punk band, and it was. Uh, and what was it? fat kid romance? And that was a punk band. <laughs> what is that well, I have I no we're... idea, but he's, 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 I thought it was a good one. I thought it was so funny. Fat kid. No, it was fat camp kid romance.
0: Something like fat that. Camp kid. Yeah. That's even better. <laughs> yeah. it was a good one. It was good. It was meant to be. Wow. wow. Yeah. Potential spam though. That's a good punk rock band. Potential
1: spam is good. It's probably taken. See, it's it taken. Like... I'll bet you if you get on go Daddy, it's
0: gone. You know what? Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: uh, have you ever done any,
0: did you ever write any
1: theme songs or anything like that? Cause David, it was funny. Like his history with all these theme, all these theme songs,
0: right. which was a good game. Oh, hmm? um, I know I, I came in a very close second to Friday night lights, the uh, football
1: football movie. Yeah. That was a big one. Cause those guys were laying on the freeway and the whole thing fiasco about it.
0: Oh Jesus! That was my cajillion dollar chance, and I missed it by a hair. Just, yeah. just somebody else was a little bit more in. It is who you know. It's tough because people say, "Oh, it's who
1: you know." Well, who you know. And it
0: is? It, it really is. The guy yeah. representing you said, "You know what? You had this, okay, but you got edged out by somebody that just was in a little deeper than you." You know, and you smile and be like, "No problem." People. There was no there was no split between which was better because they were equal musically. You know what I mean? Yeah. This, I was just you know, he was just a little bit tighter with somebody else than I was. Yeah, but that was uh, that was my big like the big money opportunity. That's the one I missed. Friday Night Lights.
1: Eh,
0: oh, come. Like <laughs> your, uh, yeah. I've, I've written a couple of jingles. I've written local jingles. I did uh, Santa Barbara Bank and Trust years ago. I remember that one. And uh, how did that go? <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Is so it a credit union up there I did, too? Just Come deposit in, your money today. <laughs> it was one of those, like, it was like, we can find a brighter horizon, growing day by day, making plans the credit union way. <laughs> <laughs> <Money> what <month.
1: laughs>
0: a lick. What a lick. Dave hey, man, my ass. Harry Nelson would have been all over you. I think I got two grand buyout for that one. And That's then, okay. Uh, yeah. And then you know, I did a bunch of um uh, like indie films with uh with Billy Talbot. He always had something going on. You know, we had this Italian producer, uh, his name was uh last name was Cinchurapini, Five Pines in Italian. <laughs> yeah, we used to call him Five Pines, you know, and uh he always had a film going on, and the one I remember that we did was so cool because we had a budget and we rented a studio and Neil came in and played on it and I got to hang with Neil all day in the studio, you know, and um, uh, Nils Lofgren came in because he used to be oh, crazy. That's cool. And, and during that session, uh, Billy, who is, of course, you know, the producer, the maestro, uh, was, we were renting shit from SIR. Yep. Like left and right. Just to see if Nils could play it. <laughs> and he could. That's we, great. We rented a Glockenspiel. And Man. Nils looks at it, he goes, So what's this? And Billy goes, It's a Glockenspiel. He goes, You think you can play it? Did you have to I dust? Know. Did you have to dust it off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But you know, and Nils looks at it, he goes, I don't know. I, I'll fuck around with it and see, you know. And so Billy goes, Yeah, okay. And he closes the door. And I hear Nils laughing just like ting ting. Ding, 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 ting 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 ting, ting you know, ting ting ting. Half hour later, Billy's like, "So how's it going, Nils?" And he's like, "Oh, I got it. You want to do a track?" And Billy's like, "Yeah, okay." And he put the mics up, and he's like, ting, ding 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 ding. It's <laughs> like he's a virtuoso in a half an hour. It was amazing to watch this guy. He was so-, so one of the
1: things. So when I did like the, when I did the Still Life soundtrack, and I had all these musicians around. So the one that stood out. Uh, well, what they they, all, they were all amazing, but one of the guys who really made an impact with snake from skid row. He was the guitar player of skid row. And it, it, it wasn't what he came out with. Cause what he did was, it was cool. It was the speed and how you pick things up so quick to make something that's like, Oh, that's good. How can you do that so fast? You know, where it's so second nature that it's just
0: done. Yeah. That was Nils. I mean, it was like, you know, a, he was when Neil hired him to play on after the gold rush Nils asked him what guitar should i bring he goes i oh, don't bring any you're gonna play piano and nils was like i don't play piano and neil was like oh you'll be all right <laughs> and he played piano on after the gold rush i mean you know he's just one of those guys man he could just it's cool
1: so what do you talk to neil young about when you say you're in there hanging out with neil young Is oh you know so one of the cool things i know about him that i think is neat is the uh, the trains the lionel train companies yeah yeah so, what was it? He was a big train kid, and then he, as an adult, he had the opportunity, or did he search out Lionel trains, or I mean?
0: Yeah, Lionel train was in trouble, and it was public information. They were going under. So, he yeah. found out who? Yeah, Bill walked in and, and, and basically saved them, yeah. Yeah, so he was just, that was his thing, man. He had a big barn uh, up on the ranch in uh, Woodside, and uh, it was all trains, you know. And he built this special because he had uh, 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 a kid with uh, special needs. So yeah. He built a special control system so the kids could actually run it. Is something yeah, that. Come on. How neat is that? Yeah. yeah. No, Neil was like totally into the bridge school and all that, you know, him and Peggy. But, uh, well, you know, what I like to
1: like, so he's a car collector, but they aren't necessarily worth a lot of money. He just buys cars that he likes driving around. I mean, just sort of salts of the earth fella.
0: I went to a wedding uh, up there on Skyline Drive in Woodside, like right down the street from the ranch. And this is, you know, uh, you've seen the video for Harvest Moon? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been been a while, but sure. That club where he's playing uh, is just this uh, kind of a shacky sort of bar uh, up there, like not too far from the ranch up on Skyline Drive, or one of those. And so uh, I went to a wedding there for one of the people, you know, in the. In the group, and uh, uh, it was great, and you know, Neil was dancing with Peggy, and everybody having a great time, and we all got drunk. Well, I left my camera there, and the next morning I had to drive back from Oakland all the way back over to Woodside to uh, to go get my camera. And Skyline Drive comes off of uh, the bridge, and then it's just this beautiful, you know, straight up into the redwoods kind of you know uh, road with this big long curve, and of course, I'm hungover. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I call them. I'm like, please, I'm my camera. And I'm trying to get back there to get my camera. And uh, uh, as I'm coming up this long curve up the hill, I see this car with the fender, <laughs> like, shaking. It's like a 1930 hot rod. And I'm like kind of getting out like getting out of the way as it's coming around the turn toward me. And as I'm looking, it's freaking Neil, elbow up <laughs> window, fender flapping, you know what I mean? And it's just like beat to shit, hot rod, heading for the city, you know. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's kind of neat. He I,
0: the guy definitely walks his own walk. Oh no, definitely. The first time I met him, he showed up at the studio in a um had to be a 1970s Navy surplus gray Dodge pickup truck. That's what he was driving in Hollywood. And he used to do that because nobody would even notice him. If he was driving a Lamborghini, everybody would be looking at him. Yeah, just an old hippie driving this beach of shit surplus gray you know battleship gray
1: yeah, but on the second side if you're sitting there on sunset and you saw neil young get out of a lamborghini it would just be weird <laughs> you know you'd be looking like or even
0: worse like what if it was a brand nah. new bentley you'd be like what the hell is he doing in a Bentley no nah, i'll never forget he showed up in that pickup truck and i'm like that's cool you know he was totally down earth kind of guy Yeah, and then I think what was, like, for decades, he
1: wouldn't let them license any of his songs for commercials and stuff, right? He's the only
0: one that's licensed them, and it's only been for a couple of things. That's neat, uh, guy, With good reason. I mean, you know, his, you know, all the way back to the Coke Wars and the Pepsi Wars where Michael Jackson was, you know, setting his hair on fire, and Neil wrote, this, you know, uh, this note's for you. Yeah. I mean, he always felt that way. And, you know, he said it uh, about uh, when uh, uh, the Beatles catalog, Northern Songs, was sold to, uh, uh, to Michael Jackson. And with the stroke of a pen, Michael Jackson turned John Lennon into a jingle writer. It was just last night I played uh, Eleanor Rigby for my daughter. She'd never heard it, you know, because we were talking about classical music. I'm like, have you ever heard Eleanor Rigby? Yeah. Was, we're talking about being, the ability to read music, which I don't. I don't, yeah. And neither she. And I said, well, it doesn't take the ability to read it because there's always somebody, or now, software that can make that happen for you. If you need manuscript, you can get it done. Paul McCartney sang all of those parts of Eleanor Reapy, All of them. He sang them. Note for note. And George Martin transcribed them. And then it was given to somebody else who transcribed them for the orchestra that played them. But the (laughs) parts, Paul McCartney was like, okay, so here's the cello. He's like, wait a minute. What notes that first one? Oh yeah. Okay. I got it. Transcribing what McCartney was singing and hearing in his head and turning into Eleanor Rigby. It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that really is. That's something special, but it's Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, he did the same with his James Bond song, Live and Let Die. He would sing the parts. Somebody else would transcribe it into manuscript. But I remember seeing some footage of him actually doing the flute. And he'd be like, blew, blew, and they're like, wait, wait, wait. Ha, I can't write that down. And he's trying to explain what those flutes are doing in Live and Let Die. You can hear them They'd, like a flutter. Yeah, but Yeah. And he's trying to get them to actually write the notes down that he's singing incredible, but if you look at like uh, if you've ever seen the Mozart movie, there, uh, what was it called? It's called Mozart. Amadeus. uh Amadeus. That's correct. Uh, where he's just sitting, and he hears it all in his head, and he's writing it down. Yeah, he's playing. He's True playing. genius. And that's that was the truth. That's really how he wrote.
1: Just
0: so cool. Imagination.
1: You know. Well, now Buddy he, Holly. You know, he would he would drive his car all night you get a car, you drive all night, and just write the songs we all know.
0: Speaking of manuscript, uh, uh, I just found the original handwritten manuscript uh, that was released somehow through uh, Gold Mountain, uh, which was the old publishing company for Neil and for Crazy Horse, of uh, a whole bunch of Crazy Horse songs, including the original, and this is on like some weird parchment, and it looks like it was uh, you know, reprinted, but it looks like it's in Danny Witten's hand uh, for I don't want to talk about it. the, the big song that they that uh, Rod Stewart ended up covering it making a huge hit. That's neat. I just found it. It's on this cool kind of thick parchment and it's kind of in this orangey brown ink. <laughs> huh. And I was looking at it going, I wonder what this is worth someday.
1: you know interesting. That's cool. I'd be into it if you want to sell it. I don't know what it's worth, though, because I'd have I mean, to see it, but I'm into it. So I have I got the Pink Floyd thing. I have a Frank Sinatra uh, one, too. Yeah, wondering about that. I'll send you some photos of that. Just Please. Yeah, that sounds kind of neat. I. Yeah. You know, what it is, is it, it's the time. So when you're when you're getting something like that, you're capturing the essence of, of a whole movement of stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. a moment. I I, that's neat. Moment. I'm into that. You know, the guitar picks and stuff, I don't, it doesn't mean that much to me. It, it's these specific oddities that are stuff like that is, it's hard to come by because it's, you know, limited. Yeah. I had, I had Stevie Nicks's diary <laughs> at one point. Wow. I know I had some really kooky handwritten
0: stuff. So I, I have, a, I have a, a photo, maybe two, photo album of the Russ Never Sleeps tour. Uh, Neil Young's big tour sure. that was taken by a photographer who was actually a friend of Neil and Crazy Horse, and a lot of the photos were taken from like foot of the stage or on stage but they're all just like candid shots that were taken by a, a photographer not like like this professional like it was set up just random shots but there's a lot of them in the, in the thing I haven't looked at it in years It's up behind me somewhere.
1: That'd be interesting. So I just got in. um, It's a bunch of Bob Marley photos that have never been released. I have the copyright to them all. He did a show in New Zealand.
0: So they're all out of New Zealand. I love Bob Marley. Oh, yeah. I have, same thing. I was just wondering about, uh, because you do memorabilia. I wasn't, that's interesting. I have a candid photo of uh, John Lennon and Yoko that was taken as they were getting out of a limousine in boston probably back in the uh early 70s and it's just a candid shot that my wife bought from a street photographer in 1974
1: is it a, it's white the, the the car color is white
0: no the limousine is black but it's that's a funny. random it's just a candid photo so it's just some, in- it's just a uh, str- okay it's just some random guy took it forget it anyway yeah, you know, the, guy's a, the guy's a street photographer So that's what he used to do: is, you know uh, take pictures of celebrities and then resell them on the street. And so my wife bought a copy of this picture of just a random picture of John Lennon and Yoko, but but it's a pretty good photo of them stepping out of a limousine. Hmm. Kind of wild. I mean, it's a one of a kind. It was so random. The the photo, you can tell. I have it
1: here somewhere. That's kind of neat. Did they? Did the guy who took the photo sign it, or do you
0: know the guy's name? Nope, no information on it at all. It's just like a, it's just like a developed photo from the seventies. Yeah, it's
1: like eight, See, this is because like the Bob Marley ones, I have all the negatives and everything, and I, I have the rights and the whole deal. So yeah, I have. Well, uh, this, I got the front of. Uh, I got Belladonna Stevie Nicks's album Belladonna. I have the photo. I have the. uh, I have the negative and I have all the stuff for that too. It's all in it. It's really, that's, that's cool. Cause it's really, she did some great poses and photography stuff. I mean, oh, that was really flowing cool. clothes. I, that's one of the ones I kept. She's wearing that big flowing outfit. Like, and she's like a bird ready to take off. It's so cool. That was very creative that
0: time right there for them.
1: Yeah. Neat stuff. All right. Well, it was super good catching up with you. I look forward to uh, bugging you soon you yeah, have to grab a beer.
0: Uh, yep, send me a link to the podcast. I'd love to hear it. And, yeah,
1: it's uh, thanks for reminding me. So it's uh, on all of these Instagrams and stuff. It's uh, Party of Stars. And then uh, the podcast Party Like a Rockstar podcast on uh, Facebook. All right, Joel. Thank you. Later, Sonny.
0: Adios. Yay!